Welcome to the Punk Rock Preschool Podcast with your host, Mr. G. For those about to learn, we salute you. Hello, party people. Thank you for joining us today on the Punk Rock Preschool Podcast, where we are changing the world one classroom at a time. That classroom is your classroom. I'm your host, Jared Geller, Mr. G. But forget about me, because today we have a great episode planned for you with another great guest. Today on the podcast, we have Kiki Protzman. Kiki is the Curriculum Development Manager for Elementary School Curriculum at Code.org. And if you've never been on Code.org, head over there right now, check it out, check the show notes, because Code.org is incredible. It is a way to teach kids, especially in our case, we're talking about early childhood and even early elementary kids, teaching them computational thinking, teaching them the skills that they need, the thinking processes that they need to become great coders, to become logicians, to become all the different, to gain all the different skills that they need to survive in the 21st century, to thrive in the 21st century. And Kiki is gonna go over her story, how she became the curriculum development manager for elementary school curriculum at code.org. She started off by founding her own business and starting Thinkersmith, where she was the president and CEO, and she will tell you about that. And I'll just let Kiki get into it because this episode is incredible. So please listen. If you want to bring technology, if you want to bring computational thinking, if you want to bring coding into your classroom, no matter how old, or even if you don't have the technology to do it, Kiki gives you lots of options to enforce these thinking processes and to help your students discover them and to be able to use them in this episode. So please listen to this episode. It is incredible. I learned a ton and so will you. So let's get right into it. Hi, Kiki. Can you tell us about yourself and what you do at code.org? Yeah. Hi, I am a curriculum development manager at code.org. I handle elementary school, so kindergarten through fifth grade. Before that, I started a nonprofit called Thinkersmith. And the point of Thinkersmith was to kind of bridge that gap between where the average person is and where you need to be in order to start learning about computer science, because people didn't really realize that it's not something that you just feel comfortable doing. You have to kind of be primed for it. So so my goal was to do that, and I wanted to start with all ages, and I found that one of the best things to do was start people off where they are in a world that makes sense to them. So I started bringing computer science concepts and computational thinking into like arts and crafts and games and real-world scenarios through unplugged lessons to try and try and get people to feel more comfortable, and that's kind of where my... Uh, specialty lies, I guess. So what what would that look like exactly? I'm trying to picture like an arts and crafts lesson that has that kind of computational computer science framework. Can you give me an example of a, uh, yeah. like a craft lesson or something that you did? So one of the first ones actually translated over and became a lesson for code.org and it was called binary baubles. And what we would do is we would make these little magnets that were each 16 bits So you could store two letters, your first initial and last initial, and you would take markers on graph paper and you would color in these markers according to the ASCII code for a letter. So students would first learn about the fact that computers only communicated in ones and zeros, and then we would talk about how a screen represents ones and zeros and off and on, and then students would choose their colors to represent off and on. And they would go uh, 
fill out these magnets. We would seal them with a little topper so they looked nice and and professional. And then they would be able to store them on the fridge or their file cabinet. And we would talk about how they were actually storing data on the refrigerator. Or uh, later for code.org, it became a bracelet. We would do the same thing either with paper on a bracelet or beads and pipe cleaners. And they would be storing their initial on their arms the same way that a computer stores data in its hard drive. That sounds awesome. I love it. I love the creativity that that you brought to, you know, just a simple idea and you you took something and just totally transformed it into something really high level and something that I think like a lot of teachers that are listening to this podcast can gain a lot from just approaching approaching teaching through that lens, through different lens and, and seeing all these opportunities that can exist with something as simple as like a bracelet. I think that's awesome that you can take beads and string and turn it into a computer science uh, activity. Yeah. Well, the crazy thing is that computer science and computational thinking are actually all around us. And they're actually things that we use every single day. It's just that not everybody has the understanding of both the craft of computer science and the way people think in the real world in order to find those similarities and illustrate them through things that are already happening. Uh, One thing we do, we plant a seed and uh, students already plant seeds in kindergartens all over the world. The difference is we show you the algorithm behind it. We show you the computer science that's part of it. And it just makes these things so much more approachable when you realize, oh, this isn't something I have to learn brand new. This is something I'm doing every day. I just have to be able to identify it and call it out. Exactly. That's a huge part of the philosophy that we have in our classroom and in the punk rock preschool mindset in general is like we teach kids about entrepreneurship and about the environment. And it's because it's all around them. And once they realize that protecting the environment is something that's all around them, once they realize that every time they go to the store, every time they go to a restaurant, they're shopping at a business and they're making a trade, then they really want to learn more about it. It's just a matter yeah. of having that context and understanding because kids, they, they know when they're immersed in learning, they know like, wow, that's just, that's a hook right there is that, Hey guys, this is everywhere. This is mm-hmm. literally anywhere you look. And then they're like, Oh wow. Cause they get that, uh, that feeling of making connections and they get it all the time because there's connections to be made everywhere. So I love the way that you're framing this with the computational thinking is everywhere and it's just a matter of kind of helping kids see it and be able to look at things through that lens and then they can start analyzing and doing the higher level thinking once they have that framework to begin with and they'll probably even start recognizing patterns that exist that you guys don't even go over yet just by by virtue of thinking critically like that so i I just oh yeah really really awesome what you're doing here yeah, go oh, on. Thank you very much. Yeah, a child's mind is really, really a magical thing. And when you think about it, they are still so critical and they're still looking for patterns and understanding in the world all over the place. It's not until we get into high school that we really start stop, uh, doing that process. That's the word I was looking for. So when a child is young, like you said, if you can show them that something like conservation and recycling, those things are all around them and they matter to their life, a student is so excited when they figure out that, oh, something matters to my life. When students are little, it kind of is all about them, right? Right. So when you can give this to them at a time when they are still able to 
functionally determine things for themselves. They haven't been um, halted yet. They can right. say, oh, hey, look, this is an A, and that is an A. They match. Okay, uh, now I see that pattern there. You're absolutely right in that there's power in doing this when they're young so that that's just the way their mind works as they grow up versus starting to teach them in high school where their mind has formed a different way and we have to do some um, mitigation, I guess, to get it back to where it could have been otherwise. Exactly. Like, I just love the, the games at, at code.org and I love like the gamification of learning that you guys are doing. So, and you've kind of gotten into this a little bit, but I don't know, maybe if you could go over like, what is your creative process like when you're coming up with one of these awesome interactive gamified lessons like where do you start are you starting with the skill that you want students to learn in mind at the end do you have like just a cool idea for something or is your mind just working a million miles a minute and just coming up just seeing things in the real world and saying that would be an awesome idea for a game or for a lesson so i'm really curious to hear you know how you how you develop these really cool lessons there that are super innovative and interesting it's a fun process and actually this is a really good time to talk about it because we're redoing our our educational offerings for elementary school. We are we kind of went back to the drawing board with the tools we already had to try and figure out what we need and what we want to accomplish. And we've had a, a couple of years now of letting our stuff be out in the wild and hearing feedback and seeing what works and what doesn't. And we wanted to take that feedback and split it into something that would work for as many classrooms as possible. Because in elementary school in particular, classrooms are different all around the country. And we respect that. And we want teachers to be able to do what works for their students. And I think fundamentally, um, we realize that what a student can do in kindergarten through fifth grade is not nearly as important as what a student believes that they can do. Absolutely. And they're going through fifth grade. Uh, it's a foundational time, and it's a time when they just need to believe in themselves so that they will be persistent and that they will struggle through that frustration and get to the other side. And if we're throwing things at them purely to get a concept across, uh, we're going to do more harm than good. We really have to understand where their brains are at and what a series is going to cause them to uh, believe about their own efficacy in computer science, right? So uh, one of the things that we did this time around was look at the overall progression. And we thought very intensely and deeply about what kind of concepts we can expect children of certain ages to kind of gather. Uh, it's very difficult, for example, for a kindergartner to keep in mind the possibility of three different processes happening, right? So to just assume that a kindergartner could understand an if, else, if, else statement and then figure out in their head what's going to happen if this is true or if this is true or if that is true. That's something that, that is just cognitively is a difficult task for the general population. Um, so the things that we did feel like kindergartners get a really easy grasp on are loops, which doing things again and again is right in a kindergartner's wheelhouse, right? Right, absolutely. And uh, also events, pressing a button, making something happen, cause and effect, 
that might not be something that comes naturally that young, but it is something that it's the perfect time to be working on, to be able to predict, to see what's coming, to say that if I do this, it will cause that to happen. And so, so that's kind of how we approach each age group, say, what is a practical thing for them to be learning? What is going to be helpful to them at this time in their lives? And then with that concept in hand, we try to figure out the best way to teach it. And sometimes that does mean starting off with drills to say, oh, look, this is something that can happen. Now show me you doing it. Here's something else that can happen. Now show me you doing it. And then once we're confident that they get to the place where they understand that concept in the context of an online puzzle, then we can start showing them more creative things to do with it. And in many places, that turns out to be uh, end of stage free play. Sometimes it becomes its very own stage where something like Floppy Birds, we teach them how to program something like that after they have kind of basic concepts under their belt. It, it just, it really depends on the age and it depends on how far into the course we are. We can get a little bit more rigorous as students are comfortable with the idea of learning these things and with the platform. Um, something else I should mention is in this, this version that's coming out in August. It will be kind of our, our preferred course starting in August. We went back to the drawing board with the idea of how to present the ideas as well. And for both kindergarten and first, first grade, our courses A and B, we start them out with stories, with story time, circle up stories that give students the understanding of some very difficult concepts. The first one is debugging. So this idea that there's something wrong and you have to figure out what's going wrong and then you have to spot the bug basically and solve the problem. And uh, those things are really hard to teach in a practical way online or even in an unplugged lesson. So allowing students to experience these things through stories is something that we're hoping really opens their eyes. Um, the second one is a story about Stevie the squirrel, who has a very big project, and she's used to doing really, really well, but she does not do so well on this project, and she gets frustrated, and she has a tantrum, and then her classmates help her see that frustration is a part of learning, and that in order to learn something new, you have to be able to get past that frustration and be persistent and figure something out. And it's only then that you're actually getting to learn something new. And even though we can give them examples that frustrate them when they're working, if they're not mentally prepared for that frustration, then things can go very, very badly. So, so those are some of the things that we think about and do as we're trying to create courses, because it's not just the education that's important. It's the holistic treatment of the child. And that's very, very important to us at Clodetics. 100%. I mean, everything you just said there was, I couldn't agree with it anymore. With the kids taking on challenges and, and pushing through them and recognize that, the way that we handled that in, in my classroom was these spatial puzzles, like a Tetris kind of puzzle, where you have a limited amount of space and certain shapes, and you kind of have to fidget around with the puzzles and take it apart and keep trying different 
different permutations and different combinations of where they go and everything. And yeah. I'll send you a link and I'll leave a link in the show notes. But essentially the thing with these puzzles, it's like, they're one of those things where it's like, I almost got it. Like, let me just keep sticking with it. Like when you have one color left on like one side of a Rubik's cube, even though like for me, I don't know how to do a Rubik's cube. So getting one side done is pretty, is a pretty big accomplishment. So like having that one color left, it's like, you'll tinker with that for like two hours trying to get that, you know, trying to get that one piece, right. Cause you're close and you're almost there. And that's how these spatial puzzles are. Cause like they put all the pieces in and it looks like they're off by one, one piece, you know, that looks like they're off by one or two things. Cause there's only so much limited space that's there and they will try for all of center time, like 45 minutes. I would have kids sitting there and just tinkering with the puzzles, trying to get it. And they could stick with it and they wanted to stick with it because they felt how close they were, but it was, it's a great, it was a great tool to teach them that hard work pays off, that if you keep pushing through something, you're going to get it. And I mean, I'd sit down with it too and start messing with it and be like, look guys, I can't, you know, I can't get it on the first try. Like I have to tinker with it. I have to mess with it. It's just a matter of practicing and working through something. So those were just two ways that, that I tried to bring that concept to life in my classroom. Cause I totally agree with you. It's super important that kids need to, they they need that context of where they're going and they kind of need to know that the hard work is going to pay off in the end because just taking it on faith, like it's like a show versus tell kind of thing where you could tell them like if you work hard and you push through with this puzzle here, you're going to get it eventually. But if you can show them how that hard work pays off and how that hard work leads to incremental growth that will eventually lead to the success that they're looking for, then I found a lot of success with with that. So Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and this is the time to be doing it, really, when you think about it. Preschool, the earlier, the better. When, when you can create, uh, you can foster persistence in a child, uh, you get the kind of child that understands that things don't happen right away and that they need to learn something else in order to unlock that, that box so that they can get what they need. And, um, that means that their entire life, they will be somebody that doesn't just give up, that comes back and tries again and tries again. And if you don't have that ability to keep trying, you're not going to reach the kind of successes that you dream of when you're a second grader and a third grader. And somewhere along the way, if we don't teach them that and they aren't having those successes that they think that they should be having, they stop believing that they can have them at all. And they, you end up with an adult who thinks that they're stuck and doesn't believe that the world has anything for them. And if you can just rewind that all the way back to preschool and teach them from the very beginning, yeah, this is hard. And yes, you're going to fail several times. And that's okay because that's how you learn. Keep going. Keep working on it. And you can do this. You can learn something that helps you finish this. And if you don't learn it all today, you can learn more tomorrow and eventually you'll get there. And if that's just what they believe life is, that's the attitude that they'll have in high school. And that's the attitude that they will have in college. And that's the attitude that they'll have in their career. And it will help them be that person that they want to be. And I think that at the very heart of why I got into this, that is what's there. Just that, that belief that students shouldn't have to just say, I don't know, I don't get it, and that's the end. That's, that's sad. If, if, if a student truly believes that they don't get it, that they will never get it, that's not only limiting, it's defeating, and it really affects a child's self-esteem. 
But if they believe that intelligence is fluid, that they can learn a little something today and a little more tomorrow, and if they just keep learning like that for a few days, they will eventually get to where they need to be, that there are resources that can help them, that that they don't have to learn it all on their own. They can go out and seek knowledge. They can ask for knowledge. They can research or read or, um, you know, question many different people. If they believe that from the start, the lives that they have in the end are going to be so much different. And I believe more. I agree a hundred percent. And that was a big thing with, with our classroom is that whenever I didn't know something, I was always pulling out my phone or going on Google and looking it up. And one of the, one of my best moments ever was we did presidential speeches when we were learning about civics. And one of my little girls who, who won the, she won the election promising more crowns and more colored pencils and more markers for everybody. <laughs> but what she did afterwards was she went home and her mom texted me and she said, why is, you know, Annabelle's asking how to make, how, how can we make crowns? How do we make crowns? How do we make markers? And she's like, I don't know. And she's like, well, let's look it up on YouTube. And so to me, I was like, that was one of the proudest moments I've ever had as a teacher, because not only did this little girl want to follow through on her political promises, which is already shocking enough that she was like, I made a promise to give you guys free stuff and I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. But then the fact that she was like, once she asked her mom, she went to her mom and said, how do we do this? So she's already asking an adult for help to accomplish the goal. And then her mom says, I don't know. And she says, well, let's look it up on YouTube. Like for a four-year-old to be able to say, here's a goal that I have. And I know, and I'm taking two paths, two strategies in order to accomplish that goal. That was just like one of those things where like what you were saying about it's kids should never feel defeated. Kids should never feel like they can't do something. Like that was something that I always try to really communicate as well. And that was just like a manifestation of it is she was being ambitious. She wasn't even like being required to do something. She was being ambitious. And then she was going out and trying to use the internet to, to learn and to look things up. And I just think it's, it's so cool to hear somebody else that has the, you know, the same philosophy and the same mindset, and you've got such a wider reach than, than I ever had. And so I'm just so happy to hear people like you are in a position to impact all of these lives and make such a difference, especially in like such a important futuristic field where it's going to, I mean, it will determine a lot of kids, not just their success, but like their happiness and how they, how they see themselves in terms of their potential oh. and all that, all that is in front oh, of yeah. them. And like with creating too, like what you were saying earlier about kids creating, I guess it was like a, like a capstone kind of thing after they finished the courses, whenever a kid creates, whenever a child creates something, they feel such pride and accomplishment from it. And so having them all create their own, what exactly was it? I'm sorry. I don't want to keep just being all over the place. Yeah, no, it, it depends on the thing, but normally it's some sort of a free play project. As the students get older, fourth and fifth grade, we actually have capstone projects that are, are larger applications that they do, and it can either be artistic or it can, it can be a game, and it's something that they put quite a lot of time into. But even at the young ages, at the end of some of the stages, we have free play levels where they can create their own mini game or their own drawing based on the skills that they have. I'm excited for this new release in August. I mean, I'll probably mess around with it myself. And I, I'm just, I'm really excited for it. Sounds like you guys really have it figured out at code.org and you're making such an impact. I guess from here, I had a few other questions, but you kind of answered them just, you know, in the conversation about what's on the horizon and things like that. So I guess for teachers that are thinking, how do I bring code.org into my classroom? How do I bring computer science into my classroom? Maybe they don't have 
the tech right now in their classroom, maybe it's only in the library. What kind of advice would you would you give to those teachers who are listening to this podcast and saying, yeah, I got to get started on this right away. This sounds awesome. Yes. Well, I would say definitely don't let anything stop you because especially with code.org, we've tried to think of everything that we can to help make it easy to bring this stuff into your classroom in whatever schedule you have. So we have uh, facilitators all across the country who do free workshops to train elementary school teachers to teach our staff. So uh, you can go to the code.org website and you can click on teach and it will show you where workshops are that are close to you. If you have some teachers that want to learn and there's not a workshop close to you, you can send a request to have one brought to you. And they are absolutely free. It's 100% free. You, you sign up, you show up, you learn, and they teach you how to teach our stuff. If you're struggling because you don't have the technology in your classroom or you don't have computer lab time, we have unplugged lessons. You can find those at code.org slash curriculum slash unplugged. And uh, there's a list of all of our unplugged lessons and roughly what ages they're intended for. Uh, and those teach these same types of concepts, algorithms, binary, conditional, debugging, all of these things without using technology, without using a computer. And in many cases, it's just paper and pencil. Uh, sometimes there are some more fun and engaging supplies, but those ones are completely optional. I think when it all comes down to it, teachers need to be modeling the same kind of bravery and willingness to fail that we expect students to have. So if you think as a teacher that you're not prepared to teach this, that you're not ready, the best thing that you can do is pick a lesson and give it a try and let your students know that this is brand new to you too, that they are the very first class you are trying to teach this with and you are nervous and and if you're doing something that's not quite right, let me let me know. Let me know if I got this wrong and you know how to do it because you are learning this at the same time that I am. And uh, kids love that kind of thing. And I, most parents understand that the teachers of today did not grow up with computer science in their classroom the way they grew up with English or writing or uh, math in their classroom. So if your student goes home and says, my teacher was teaching us computer science and she made a mistake. Ha 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 ha. Parents are more likely than not. They're going to be thrilled that their students are being exposed and not irritated that the teacher's not perfect. And then the other really big thing that I think I would be remiss if I did not mention is that we don't expect, especially at a preschool kindergarten age, that teachers are going to be sitting their students down at a computer for an hour every week, teaching them to code. There are so many ways to get these fundamentals across to students without even opening a computer. That it's certainly, and it's built into our new curriculum, that we prepare the students with stories, we prepare the students with hands-on projects, and then we spend a little bit of computer time translating those computers or those um, concepts and ideas to machines. 
uh, it is very, very, very important to us that students grow up understanding that they need to be mobile, that they need to take exercise breaks, that they need to experience the great outdoors. And whenever we can, we like to be able to incorporate that kind of thing into our lessons as well. So just as a teacher, please don't mistake our message for everybody needs to become a robot and they need to spend this much time on computers learning to code before they're even in fifth grade. Our message really is our students need to be able to think. Our students need to be prepared for the jobs of the future, for the life, really, that they're going to lead when they grow up. And now is the best time to start getting their minds ready and preparing their minds that's what the teachers are good at. The teachers need to understand their classroom. We are not trying to dictate at all how that should go. We're just trying to give them a helping hand. And I think that all came came across very clear throughout this whole episode. This has been, I'm really, really glad we got to do, have this conversation, Kiki. This has been awesome. Like everything that you're saying, I was just smiling from ear to ear while you were running, while you're running off that, that last answer, because everything you were saying was just so on point and well, and it's just so encouraging, like I was saying before, of the fact that you've got this mindset and I, I can't say enough about it. It's perfect. You know, you guys are doing amazing things and I'm really happy that you are running the show with the elementary curriculum because I can't, I mean, I don't know anybody else that works at your company, but I can't imagine anybody else can do it as well as you with this mindset <laughs> that you've got. Everyone's going to really enjoy this episode. This is going to be an excellent, excellent episode. It's been super inspiring and thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciated it. And keep doing what you're doing. Kudos for sure. Whenever somebody can get word out there about the important parts of early childhood education, it's a benefit to everybody. So thank you. Thank you, Kiki, for coming on the podcast and for just helping us learn so much about how we can use computational thinking, computer science, coding, all these awesome 21st century skills, how we can put them into place in our classrooms without even having the technology. That's pretty incredible. So if y'all want to learn more about Kiki, check the show notes. I'll leave links to her bio, leave links to her website, leave links to her book. She's got My First Coding Book, which is available on Amazon, Computational Thinking and Coding for Every Student, The Teacher's Guide, The Teacher's Getting Started Guide, and then Star Wars Coding Project. So these three are all available on Amazon, and I will leave links in the show notes if you want to get some coding books for your students and for your classroom. So thank you for listening, and I hope you are one step closer to making the classroom of your dreams come true. Please follow us on social media. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and email list. Go to code.org, check out these awesome games, put them in place into your classroom, or play with them yourself. I had a lot of fun playing with these games. Please leave ratings, comments, reviews, thoughts below. If there's anything you want me to discuss on future episodes, if you love this episode and you want to hear Kiki come back, which I kind of want Kiki to come back since she gave such a great episode, please leave it in the comments. Send me an email, whatever it is. I will leave everything in the show notes. Just reach out and let's work together to change the world one classroom at a time. Until next time, keep rocking.